1: Kia ora and welcome to this special Our Changing World Breaking Science News with me, Alison Balance. New research shows that removing invasive mammals from islands is a highly effective and relatively cheap way of saving endangered species and stemming the loss of the world's biodiversity. The study was the first global analysis to document the benefits of eradicating invasive mammal species such as rodents, cats and goats from islands. Lead author Dr Holly Jones from Northern Illinois University in the United States says that 40% of the native species that have benefited from these eradications are New Zealand species.
0: Islands are full of these these really fragile and often endemic species, meaning they're only found on a single island. And our analysis predicted that 6% of highly threatened birds, mammals, and reptiles have benefited from invasive mammal eradication. And that's a pretty big number considering how much of a small proportion uh, islands make up of the world's terrestrial landmass. So this is is really an important uh, conservation measure to help protect highly endangered species.
1: Dr James Russell from the University of Auckland is one of the paper's 30 authors, and he says the study cements New Zealand's leading position in the development of island eradication techniques and also in the conservation gains we have made as a result.
2: So for the study, there were 236 species across the world which were demonstrated to have actually benefited from mammal eradications and 93 of those are from New Zealand. So that's nearly half of the species. So it really does appear that these species benefits are accruing strongly in New Zealand in particular.
1: Dr Jones says that despite their small size, islands are particularly valuable for biodiversity.
0: Islands, I think, are very underappreciated in their importance for biodiversity conservation globally. So they make up a tiny fraction of Earth's landmass, maybe about 5.5%, but they harbor around one-fifth of terrestrial species. And because they have such unique faunas, um, those fauna are particularly vulnerable to uh, invasive mammal impacts. And so it makes islands both biodiversity hotspots and also extinction hotspots. And so it also means that conservation on islands has this great opportunity to provide us with disproportional benefits to the world's biodiversity.
1: The responses of birds to island eradications has been well documented and some of the most compelling examples in the study come from New Zealand.
0: So there were some extreme Benefits to um, various native species. One of the coolest ones um, that's a good New Zealand example is the reappearance of the New Zealand storm petrel on Hotaru Island after cats and rats were eradicated there. They they were thought to be extinct for over 100 years, and after cats and rats were eradicated, the first one was found breeding really recently, and so that's a really great example. There were in fact four species that were downlisted to a lower extinction risk category as a direct result of mammal eradication, so that's pretty exciting. And then here, stateside, there's another good example. The Scripps's Murrelet, which um, has a really big breeding colony on Anacapa Island, off the Channel Islands in California, rebounded quite significantly after rats were eradicated there.
1: Cook's petrel in New Zealand is another species that has flourished since the removal of mammals from its two island homes.
2: So Cook's petrels are a really interesting species in New Zealand. They're distributed just in the far north on Little Barrier, Hautudu Island, and in the far south on Codfish, Island, and both of those islands had uh, rat species on them, and Little Barrier also had cats. And there was a really great long-term project that occurred where they monitored the Cook's Petrol fledging success, both uh, in the presence of cats and rats, and then after the cat eradication, and then after the rat eradication. And that final uh, culmination of having the cats and rats removed from Little Barrier has uh, allowed that population of Cook's Petrol to explode, and it looks like there's over 2,000 of them on the island now so they're doing really well so that's just a really great story of uh, how one seabird species can recover following a a complete eradication of the invasive mammals.
1: And Cook's Petrels have been downlisted from for their extinction risk on the IUCN red list is that right?
2: Yes, so now with the success of that Cook's Petrol Population's recovery over the the past decade, we're able to chalk that up in our international treaty obligations and say that's a a species that's less threatened because we made a successful conservation intervention on it. And so that's precisely the main message of, of this paper, that in the very best case scenarios, these invasive mammal eradications lead to species being actively saved.
1: Worldwide, there have been more than 1,100 attempts at eradicating invasive mammals on islands.
2: There's been demonstrated benefits on the land birds, so things like Kokako and takahe and saddleback, but we've also been looking at seabirds uh, and some of the recoveries they make, whether um, by naturally recolonising islands or more recently with translocations of seabirds to islands, but also we're seeing benefits in uh, some invertebrates and some reptile species, although so are, those are not so often documented. Uh, because those are slightly more cryptic species, and the original focus for mammal eradications was bird protection.
1: Dr David Towns from the Department of Conservation and AUT University has had many decades' experience with New Zealand reptiles. In the mid-80s, he began working with lizards in the Mercury Islands off the Coromandel Peninsula. Whitaker's skink was a very rare lizard at that time.
3: The idea was to see if it was possible to eradicate pests off islands and then to move these lizards back into the places where they may have been in the past.
1: When Dr Towns started work, he says Koropoki Island was a conservation basket case.
3: The be best described as a trashed kind of habitat. And it had rabbits and kiore on it. So it, it was a pretty amazing thing. So was, if you walked in the forest there, which was dominated by behutakawa, you could see right through the forest for maybe 100 or 150 metres. There was no undergrowth whatsoever. And just behutakawa trees and dry litter. That really started us thinking about, well, what could we do to take a broader approach to this? And rather than think about a single species, think about what you would do to um, try and recover the entire ecosystem. And that's what really sort of generated the best part of a quarter of a century of work out there.
1: So you went ahead, you got rid of the rabbits, you got rid of the kiori?
3: Yeah, that was both pretty much finished by 1987. And the skinks were reintroduced. The first species was reintroduced in 1988. And then by the, by the mid 90s, we had done four um, different species of quite rare skinks from that particular area. And subsequent to that, now the tusk wetter have, have been reintroduced, um, tree wetters, the large darkling beetles. So it like the food chain is progressively being reassembled. And the seabird populations out there have naturally recolonised. So it's, it's becoming, as of now, very heavily burrowed.
1: What you've painted is a, a great picture there of exactly what happens when you get rid of invasive mammals.
3: Yep, my students who go out there now come back absolutely raving about the place and say they've never seen anything like it. And what you can see, even from the sea, is you can see two different forests that are growing. So the, the broadleaf forest, which was probably the, or well, almost certainly the, the natural forest type of that, for that region is coming up underneath the pahutakawa, which was induced by grazing by rabbits. And it's two quite distinct layers.
1: A very different place to walk around now. It sounds fantastic.
3: Well, it's a it's very difficult place to walk around now.
1: I think the key thing about your work is that a lot of the benefits that have been seen are to do with birds. Those tend to be the animals that people monitor best. But what you have shown is that you can actually get good measurable benefits for some of those other less studied groups, the reptiles, the invertebrates.
3: Correct. It's not surprising that people sort of study birds the most because on many island um, groups, they're the dominant species present. And for example, if you go to Hawaii, there are no endemic reptiles and there are no no mammals. Yeah, sort of, it's understandable that birds have been the focus of a lot of this this work, but we started off in New Zealand realising that we actually have very diverse island communities, much more so than many of these isolated islands out in the ocean. And we care a lot more to gain from um, trying to get the piss off for that for that reason.
1: So this paper puts a global perspective on island eradications. New Zealand is obviously playing an important part in that global picture.
3: Yeah. Well, a lot of the techniques that were kind of developed, essentially in a state of panic for us, have become, if you like to call it, sort of industrialised and scaled up to a level where it's re- relatively inexpensive to... Um, Um, get um, all mammals off off particular islands, you know, going up to very large islands. So the cost per hectare goes down as the scale goes up. We've now got to the point where, you know, like the Australian's done an island of 26,000 hectares.
1: Eradication techniques developed and trialled in New Zealand have now been exported around the world.
3: People started looking at what we are doing back back in the late 90s, really, and suddenly realised that, well, maybe there's things that we could apply in our environments that um, is being done in New Zealand. And that's where the, sort of the export of the, the technology really started to happen.
2: So at the moment in this paper, 50% of the populations where the recovery has been demonstrated are in New Zealand. And that's because we've put in a alliance here of effort for doing these eradications. And we started earlier than most other countries. But now we're starting to see that translate to those other countries. So the authors also use an example from um, the Baja Peninsula in California and that shows how well the Mexicans and the Californians have done at uh, using our expertise and, and we have a close relationship with those agencies and they've really started to demonstrate the same benefits on those islands, their species being saved and extinction being prevented.
1: One of the findings in this paper is that island eradications, getting rid of invasive animals is really a very cost effective conservation tool.
0: yeah, I think that's true, you know I think. All all conservation efforts are really very important. But if one was looking to get the biggest gain for their conservation dollar, eradicating invasive mammals from islands is probably a good way to go.
3: You can get a lot for your money by doing this. Uh, And the whole concept of doing this for islands, of course, has been transferred to the mainland and parts of New Zealand where people have been putting fences up or they've been trying to do pest control in, in localised areas to try and get a, an equivalent kind of response. Where
1: to from here do you think?
2: From this paper we didn't have an opportunity to look at other eradications such as eradications of invasive birds or invasive plants and also we know they're invasive ants and invasive reptile species so from a eradication perspective uh, mammals we've got quite under control on small to medium-sized islands, but we need better tools and technology and science to underpin eradications of some of these other species and so that we can also demonstrate the benefits from eradicating those. But that's not to say that we should finish with the work we've done today on mammals. Currently mammals have been cleared from 10% of New Zealand's offshore island area, but if we keep scaling up as we have over the past 50 years, we can start to reach some of these bigger islands such as Aotea, Great Barrier, or Rakiura, Stewart Island and then really make a a significant contribution to saving some of the species which need these large areas of land, which are resilient to climate change, species like pheo or blue duck, which really need big, active, long river runways.
1: Now, the recent paper that you are a, a lead author on, the importance of lethal control of invasive predators for island conservation, tell me a bit about that.
2: Some people have fairly stated recently that we should be doing no harm in our conservation. We should be looking, just like doctors do in medical practice, at minimising the the number of animals that have to die. And we absolutely agree with that. And on the the face of it, uh, invasive mammal eradication may seem uh, opposed to that. But actually we have to argue that it's not a question of whether these invasive species have rights. Of course they do. But why should they have more rights than some of our native species? And would we rather have native or invasive species on our islands? And so within that context, it's a more nuanced argument of uh, when it comes to choosing which species uh, get to live and which ones may unfortunately have to be culled, that there's trade-offs there among the invasive species and the native species, depending on what the communities want to support.
0: And another argument that we make in that paper is that letting invasive mammals drive other animals to extinction is in and of itself an action you know we're deciding not to do anything and that action could be considered inhumane and in fact we consider it inhumane uh, particularly in light of the many extinctions that invasive mammals have caused on islands.
1: So in a sense the greater compassion comes from looking after those often rare native species that might often be restricted to an island.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, the, you know, the invasive mammals that are found all over the globe have populations that are doing well all over the, the globe and in places that aren't islands. And so, um, we're really looking out to protect those species that are highly endangered and that are threatened by invasive mammals on islands.
1: I'm Allison Balance from Our Changing World on RNZ National, and you've been hearing from Holly Jones at Northern Illinois University in the United States. James Russell from the University of Auckland, New Zealand, and David Towns from the New Zealand Department of Conservation and Auckland University of Technology. The paper they were discussing is called Invasive Mammal Eradication on Islands Results in Substantial Conservation Gains, and it was published in the journal PNAS. For more, check out our website, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Ka kite anō.